the microphones have the red and the green and the red and the green. That's cool, isn't it? Whoever thought of that is like a decorating genius. But we do want to welcome everyone uh, here with us. Obviously, uh, things are different. We're beginning at 2 instead of 11.30. We've got decorated tables all around the perimeter of the room. Um, Because today is our Christmas banquet. Amen? So after we get done taking communion together, we're actually going to have the um, children's program. They'll come up and um, show us what they've learned in terms of entertainment so far this year. So that would be exciting. And then we'll um, obviously have food and a lot of great fellowship as well. I want to thank Ricky and Roxanne for organizing today. I don't see where they are, but not just Ricky and Roxanne, but Neil and Jay Green as well. They organize all the food, so thank you for them doing that. And on kind of a um, a down note, um, this is Matt and Katie's last Sunday with us. So... Um, if you get the chance today, please, you know, come and, and say goodbye to Matt and Katie, and particularly if you didn't have the chance to do that um, with them or for them on Wednesday. So I don't know what you're expecting in terms of a sermon this morning. Um, you're probably expecting the, you know, baby Jesus and the manger and all that stuff. Since it is, you know, Christmas time and that kind of thing. Um, we're not going to do that this morning because, because next week Alan Abelita is going to be here to preach for us, okay? And it will be Christmas Eve Eve next Sunday, so I thought it would be more appropriate to do the Christmas sermon then, and he volunteered to do it as well, so I said, hey brother, have at it. So, we're going to be back in Acts, okay? Acts chapter 26. Um, so turn there with us, please. And as you turn there, just recap in your mind and notice how the entire book of Acts has really changed from stories of initial expansion to missionary journeys to now Paul's trials before the Jewish and the Roman authorities after his third missionary journey. But it's all under the same umbrella of what the Holy Spirit is doing to advance the gospel. And instead of Paul going out and and preaching to Gentiles, or Peter going out and preaching to Jews, now Paul gets the opportunity to preach before some of the most powerful people in the known world at the time. And so again, we are focusing on Paul's speeches in these trials, and um, the next lesson, which would be December the 30th, will be our last in the book of Acts before we begin the Gospel of John in January. So... Uh, Just to bring us up to speed, we left off at the end of Acts chapter 24. The Jews had no evidence and therefore no case against Paul. Felix could find no reason to convict him, so he kept Paul in prison for two years while he used him as sort of a um, political chess piece to curry favor with the Jews, but then also try to get some money from Paul through a bribe. And at the end of that two years, Felix, who was the governor, was removed from office because of complaints of the Jews. And like we said last week, he committed suicide and drowned himself in a lake. And so in Acts chapter 25, there's a new governor named Festus. Festus is appointed, and after only three days at his post, the Jews rush him to bring these charges again against Paul. Again, after two years, they come back again. And Paul, um, he appeals to Caesar because every Roman citizen had the right in capital punishment cases to appeal to Caesar and to have their case heard before the emperor himself, which would have been Nero at the time. And so after that, King Agrippa and Bernice, that that was, if you think about 
uh, the line of kings, David, Solomon, and all those guys, that lineage of kings continued. And so the king at the time was um, Agrippa. He wasn't fully Jewish, but he was definitely the king. And Bernice, who was not his wife, Bernice was his sister. And there was a big rumor at the time that there was some kind of incestuous relationship between those two. Um, This Bernice is also the sister of Drusilla that we talked about last week. Anyway, so Agrippa and Bernice come down for yet another hearing um, to hear Paul out. And this time Paul takes a different approach than he did with the trial before Felix. And with Felix, he went through and he addressed all the specific charges that were made against him. Um, This time he's really given permission to speak freely and simply defend himself because it wasn't a trial per se. And so uh, Paul takes a different tack. And in uh, Revelation 12, you don't have to turn there, says that uh, they triumphed over him, talking about the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so Paul takes the opportunity really to share his testimony before Agrippa and before all of the other uh, prominent men and women that were there at the time. And so this morning, my hope is that we too will learn how we can share our testimony and be used by God as well. We're going to be having lots of uh, conversations with our friends and families over Christmas. And maybe we can um, learn something today that, that's going to help us. I know that that was not Luke's intent in writing Acts chapter 26, okay? But Luke tells Paul's conversion story three times, and I'm just thinking, okay, let's try to get something else out of Paul's conversion. So let's go ahead and uh, pray very briefly, and we'll jump right on into Acts chapter 26. Uh, Lord, uh, this is an amazing and a wonderful time that we can come together each year to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, without whom none of us would be able to have the hope that we have. And so, Father, we do rejoice and we do celebrate your son uh, choosing to uh, give up all of his deity, giving up, give up his glory to come to earth as a man, to wrap himself in flesh and blood and to struggle just like we do so that he could be an incredible sacrifice for our sins. We pray that throughout this season that our minds would be first and foremost focused on you, um, not necessarily on the materialism of this world, but uh, Father, on, on giving versus getting. And I even pray that through our lesson today that we'd be able to have some seasoned conversations with our friends and relatives over Christmas dinner. So thank you so much for what you've given us. Amen. Amen. So the title of this morning's lesson is The Power of Our Testimony. The Power of Our Testimony. We'll start reading here in Acts chapter 26, verse 1. It says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. 
Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. And we can stop there. Uh, Point number one this morning is talk about life without Jesus. Talk about life without Jesus. Paul, here as he begins, he he makes some, some key statements and he says, The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life. And then he says, they have known me for a long time. So as he's making this testimony before Agrippa and the other people that were there, he's basically saying, there's no question mark on my life. I'm not an unknown quantity. I am a known quantity to these people. I'm not foreign to the Jews. They all know me. And there was once a relationship there. Some of them in the room that day were probably former colleagues of his. Perhaps they were former classmates of his. And he's saying, I am who I say I am, and others can verify that fact. He's building trust. He's building familiarity. He's building relatability. And if you want to compare resumes, Paul is probably saying, mine is more impressive, and they know it. I'm a Jew amongst Jews. I'm a Hebrew's Hebrew. And in verse 6, he says, And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. And in verse 8, Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Again, he's on trial because of the resurrection. We talked about this last week. And he's trying to point out the irony in the mainstream belief of the Jews and the Pharisees, which was to believe in a resurrection. That's what they all believed in. That's what they taught. That's what they preached. There's going to be a resurrection. So he's pointing out this irony of how can you say that you believe in the resurrection? And here I go saying, well, all right, a resurrection happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And then you think I'm crazy. So he says, why do you call that incredible? Or why do you think that that's weird that God raises the dead? Isn't that what you talk about? It's like Acts 12 when Peter was put in prison, right? And the church was praying for him. You remember that? And then the angel breaks Peter out of prison. He goes to the house where they're staying. He knocks on the door and then Rhoda opens up the door. She's like, oh, it's Peter. I can't believe it. She goes back and she tells everybody else. They say, you're out of your mind. What could Peter possibly be doing here? Even though they've specifically been praying for Peter to get broken out of jail. Do you see the weirdness there? Like... This is what you're praying for. This is what you got, but you think it's crazy. It's like when disciples get weird, right? When you ask them questions about their spirituality or you suggest, uh, suggest, hey, let's do something, I don't know, of a spiritual nature together. Let's, let's pray together. Let's, uh, let me confess my sin to you or, or whatever it is. And they kind of act like, like, bro, like, like that's a weird thing. And you're left wondering, but I thought that's what we were supposed to be doing, Right? That's what Paul's kind of pointing to here, this strange irony. In verse 9, he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible 
to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And so he's telling about his past and how he felt like they did. I relate to you. You're against Jesus. I was against Jesus too. And how he did the things they did and more on top of what they did. And so these statements would have hit home. They would have resonated with Agrippa and with the Jews that were there. And that's what we're trying to do when we share our testimony with others. We're trying to relate in some way as we talk about our past life without Jesus. And you have to consider your audience. Who are you speaking to? Is this a friend? Is this a family member? Somebody you've known for a long time? Somebody somebody that you haven't? Somebody you just met? Are you speaking to a group of people? That changes your testimony. And you've got to consider what you know about who those people are and match parts of your story with who those people are. So, for example, a couple days ago, I was out and I, and I, I met a guy and I, I, I've met him before. We've talked a couple of times and I reached out to him. I asked him, so is, is your spiritual life important to you? And he says, well, you know, I, I never really got into that. And I said, well, I know what you mean, because years ago I didn't really get into God or, or Jesus either. I said, what, you just didn't grow up going to church or or something like that? He's like, no. I said, me neither. I didn't grow up going to church either because I didn't. And so I said, you probably don't know much about the Bible or or Jesus, do you? He's like, no. I said, you know what? I didn't either. And I told him I I would have cursed you out if you would have mentioned Jesus to me. And so I I was trying to relate with the man, trying to help him to see that You know what? I feel or felt anyway like you feel. And so Paul is is using what today some in the sales community call feel, felt, found. You ever heard of that before? Feel, felt, found. And it's very simple. I know how you feel. I felt the same way. But what I found out was, and you turn the person's mind to the direction that you're trying to go in it. It's simply having empathy with people. That's it. It's simply having empathy, walking in other people's shoes in order to move them from where they are to where you're trying to lead them. And Paul was great at it. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I know I've said it over and over again, but they don't want to hear about you and your message. Or maybe I should to be less offensive. They don't want to hear about us and our message until they know how much we care about them and have their interests in mind. And so this is the first part of giving our testimony. We all know that you're perfect now, right? And walking on water, holier than thou, I know that. But let people know what you were before you met Jesus so that people can relate. This doesn't mean that we have to romanticize and glorify our sin and talk about the glory days and how awesome it was when we were sinning. It just simply means to humbly express our flaws and shortcomings to show that we were helpless and in need of a savior. This gives people hope that they can change. Amen. Amen. Point number two, talk about your conversion. Acts chapter 26, verse 12 It says, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. 
We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Talk about your conversion. And so this incredible, uh, Paul tells this incredible story about being blinded on the road to Damascus and having a vision about Jesus uh, talking to him and commissioning him to go and preach. And like I said, Luke tells this story three different times in Acts. And he's telling the story in all these different trials and everything else because Luke is trying to make the point that Paul is innocent and Christianity is of no threat to the Roman government. But the story itself is full of drama Paul, if you notice, brings out all the small details of the story. It's noon. There's a blinding light. The story's full of drama. Jesus spoke. He didn't just speak, but he spoke in Aramaic, right? Uh, Jesus uses a common saying. It's hard for you to kick against the ghost. Basically, Jesus was saying, Paul, you're being hard-headed. You're being stubborn. Stop resisting me. And so I imagine as Paul is, is there and he's giving this testimony, everyone's just kind of on the edge of their seats because everyone loves a great story. Facts tell, stories sell. When you were a child, your parents did not tell you bedtime facts. They told you bedtime what? Stories, stories. And so they would have been listening to every word. And I know some of you are saying, well, I didn't have a vision. God didn't blind me as I was on my way to Farm Fresh. And that didn't happen to me. And you just have to answer some really simple questions. What happened as you were making your decision? Just kind of talk about that. What happened as you were making your decision? What opened your eyes to Jesus? What were you feeling at the time? What was that like? How did you change? Just really simple stuff. And that, as it comes together, creates our story. And so I told the guy that I was reaching out to that while um, I wasn't into it either at the time, I started thinking about how important my spirituality was and if what the Bible said was true. So that's, I, I told, I know how you feel. I felt the same way. But you know what? I started thinking in this way. I told him that I started researching um, and, and that got me into it that got me to think about God in a different way. And I asked him if all the things about Jesus were true, would that be important to you? And would that be something worth your time, your attention, your effort? And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, no, if, if Jesus really did die on the cross for your sins and he was buried and that he really did rise from the dead on the third day so that you could have the hope of heaven, if that's really true, would that be important to you? I'm not going to answer the question just yet. I'll let you know in the next point what he said. For many of us, the thing that changed us was an experience, right? Or something that someone said. Or maybe it was a scripture that kind of rang in our, in our minds and in our ears. Those are the things that we need to be sharing about as we share our conversion. Let me talk to the teens very briefly here. 
Your story does not need to be a Hollywood blockbuster, okay? Where are they? I'm looking over here and like, I'm like, I don't see a single team, but they're all back there in the corner. Okay, hey guys, let me look back there. Your story doesn't need to be a Hollywood blockbuster. You don't need to get shot. You don't need to go to jail. You don't need to be on Skid Row in order to have a compelling story, okay? And I think that you guys compare, you compare sin and you, you discount the sin that you were in before you became a Christian. So the sin of, say, just let's just say, not saying that you did, just saying rebellion, pride, right? Disobedience to your parents. You compare those types of sins to kind of some of the other sin, right? Junk drunkenness or immorality or for me, theft. And you say, oh man, my sin isn't like that sin, so my story isn't as impactful. But that's not the case because in God's eyes, sin is sin and it separates all of us from him. And so your sin of rebellion, pride, or disobedience to your parents is the same in God's eyes as my sin of stealing, immorality, drunkenness, and turning my back on God. You guys have a story. Everybody has a story. And if you need to think through it, if you need to write it down, if that helps you, do whatever you need to do. But let's talk about our stories. Amen? Last point. Not last point. Third point. There's four points. What? Four points? It's Christmas, bro. <laughs> I'm wrapping up. Talk about your life with Jesus. Talk about your life with Jesus. Verse, uh, chapter 26, verse 19, Paul says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And so Paul, with Jesus, was obedient to the vision that he had received. He took action and started not just believing in Jesus, but preaching about the man that he had just been persecuting three days before. Clearly he had changed. And from getting people to not follow Jesus to now warning people that they need to repent and follow Jesus is a huge change. And he continued the story right up to the present. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. He's preaching the same message, the resurrection of Jesus and the expectation of repentance as a result. And that's why he was arrested at the temple. Now look here in verse 24. Paul inter- or Festus interrupts. And he says, you're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. And personally, I'm surprised that Paul made it this far in his testimony because I don't know about you, but many times when I give my testimony to other people, they're quick to interrupt and talk about why, for some reason, what I'm saying doesn't apply or relate to them. 
So it's great that Paul made it like all the way through before he got interrupted. But normally people are saying stuff like, well, I already know all about that. I I go to church already. Well, you know, I've already read the Bible front to back, back to front. I'm a pretty good person. Well, you know, my wife, she's really into that. My grandfather, he's a pastor. That's the stuff that people say as they interrupt you, right? And so I told you that I'd get back to the guy. I asked the guy the question. So if these things were really true, would this be important to you? He says, well, I'm a Methodist and I read the Bible sometimes. After he had just told me he's really not into that at all. Anyway, Paul says that he's not insane. And that what he's saying is true, it's reasonable, and it's verifiable. And then, point four, see I told you we're moving along. He asks the question. Point four, ask the question. Paul questions Agrippa. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. I'm in verse 27. Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And at this point, Agrippa realizes, wait a minute. He's been reaching out to me all this time. I thought I was questioning him. He's actually questioning me. And so with the question, Agrippa realizes I can't say no, that I don't believe the prophets. I'm a Jewish king. Of course I believe the prophets. But if I say yes, I know Paul's next question is going to be, so why don't you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And so we have to ask the question after we've given our testimony. We've talked about our lives without Jesus We've talked about our conversion. We've talked about our life with Jesus. You have to ask the question. What question, Tony? Are you saying that I need to ask people whether or not they believe in the prophets? No, I'm not saying that. But you've got to ask the question. The question could be, so, would you like to come over for dinner? It could be, so, who is Jesus to you? It could be, would you like to get together and study the Bible? It could be, you want to come to church? You want to come to Devo? You want to come to Bible Talk? I don't know. But it's some question that reveals whether or not they're willing to take a step of faith. That's the question that you got to ask. And some might feel like, well, so soon? Like, I, I get it maybe with my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister. I've known them. I've been reaching out to them for 5, 10, 20 years. Okay, I can ask the question. But what about the guy at Farm Fresh? Should I be asking him that question so soon? Isn't that kind of intrusive? Why not let them reach out to me when they're ready? Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. In verse 28, after Paul asked the question, then Agrippa says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian, Paul? Obviously, Paul's answer was yes. I do believe that in such a short time, I can persuade you to become a Christian. And yes, I am willing to ask you this question, whether or not you believe in the prophets in front of all of these people. And after however long his testimony had been, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, I don't know how long. I know I've never even met you before, Agrippa, but I'm going to call you to faith. Do you believe in the prophets? Paul responds and says, well, short time or long. It can be a little bit of time. It can be a lot of time. Either one of those is great. I just want you to become a Christian. And so do we believe that someone can respond that quickly? It's not 
unreasonable. It's not insensitive. It's not obnoxious to ask for and expect an immediate response to the gospel. Jesus expected it. Think about Andrew, Peter, James, John. They're casting their net into the lake because they were fishermen. Jesus walks by and says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. What do they do? They drop their nets and they follow him. Think about Matthew or Levi's there in the tax collector's booth. What does Jesus say? He walks up. Yo, come follow me. Matthew gets up and follows him. Think about the rich young ruler. Lord, what must I do to, to, to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him everything and calls him to the carpet. Give up everything you have. Sell your possessions. Give them to the poor. Then what? Come follow me. Zacchaeus even up in the tree. Jesus says, yo, I'm coming to your house today. He calls Zacchaeus and everybody to faith immediately. But not everyone responds faithfully. Agrippa knows Paul is trying to persuade him. And so what does he do in verse 30? It says the king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. And they left the room and they had their little private conference there talking about Paul. He didn't respond well. He didn't respond great. The rich young ruler went away sad. And the guy that I was talking to just kept saying, I'm just not into it. He just kept saying it over and over and over. I'm just not really into it. I'm just not really into it. I said, amen. No big deal. I'll see you again. We'll talk some more. But that does not mean that we don't ask the question. And even though people don't realize that their salvation is the most important issue in their lives. They don't realize it, but it is the most important issue. And Jesus demands their full attention. He died for our sin and rose from the dead three days later so that we could be forgiven. And what's more important than that? Can you think of anything more important than that one simple statement? Sorry. Sorry. Because Jesus died and rose again, people need to repent, just like we did. And he's commissioned us to bring that message to people through the power of our own story, our own testimony. And so let's use what God has done in our lives to show Jesus to people. Let's talk about our past lives without Jesus. Let's relate to people. Let's empathize and let's give them hope. Let's talk about our conversions. What happened? How we felt? What opened up our eyes? What got us to see Jesus? Let's talk about our lives with Jesus. How he's still working in our lives. And let's ask the question. And give people the chance to respond faithfully and repent. His body was broken. His blood was shed for our sins. And let's remember Jesus as we take the bread and the fruit of the vine at this time. We're going to pray for communion, and then uh, I believe Ricky is going to come up and give us some instructions about the rest of the afternoon. Let's pray. God in heaven, uh, through your incredible mercy and your incredible power, uh, Jesus came, he was born, uh, he died, and he rose again. We have no greater truth than that in our lives. And Father, we hold on to that uh, with all that we have and for dear life. 
We know that you've given each of us a story, that you've worked in each of our lives in a unique way. You've worked in our lives in ways that you have not worked in anyone else's life and that our story can touch people in a powerful and a profound way. We just pray, God, that we could learn some simple lessons from Paul about how we can talk about our testimony, about how you have impacted and changed our lives and how our lives have been different since we've been following you. And I pray that we could each be a a candle, that we could be a light, a lamp, an inspiration for our friends and our family, our our neighbors, loved ones as we get together over the holiday season. Um, Help our lights to shine. Help us to become more like your son, Jesus, and help us to remember him all the time, and especially now as we take this bread and this juice. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I believe that everyone has, re- has gotten a, um, a little juice cup.